Hi, friend. It's Brittany Moses and Ranella Kaligithi, and you're listening to Speaking Our Minds, the podcast that brings you honest and nuanced conversations around mental health, holistic wellness, and the real complexities of what it means to be human in the challenges of today's world, where we have fun, fascinating, and meaningful discussions around how to live a more insightful, connected, and whole life from the inside out. Joined by guest professionals, thought leaders, and some of my friends and those with lived experience. As always, we ask that you keep in mind that the views and opinions shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from your clinician or provider and is ours to discern. We're so glad you're here. Follow the conversation on Instagram at Speaking Our Minds Pod and sit with us because we're diving in. This podcast episode is brought to you by WeShare by UHSM, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.weshare.org or call 1-800-900-8476. Welcome to another episode of the Speaking Our Minds podcast. This is Brittany. And this is Ranella. And we are doing something a little bit different this month. We decided to open up this episode for a Q&A episode. We've been putting out questions on our stories, on our broadcast channels, and everywhere such to see what questions you guys have for us to answer. Yeah, this is going to be a good episode. I feel like, um, you know, it is off the cuff. We haven't looked at the questions, hardly thought about them, um, but they were really good questions. Actually, kind of hard to choose which ones we were going to focus on. But thank you yeah. for submitting them because they're they're really good. So, Renella, do you want to kick us off with our first question? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the first question is: Can you speak on radical acceptance and how that looks like on the daily? Why don't you go first, Brittany? Radical acceptance and what does that look like every day? Just practical. Such a good question. Oh, okay. So yes, having not thought about this question (laughs) um, at all, um, I think for me, it's just like, you know, I've mentioned this before. I was recently diagnosed with ADHD and I always felt like throughout my life that there was just something that was wrong. Like I could not put my finger on it, but Mm -hmm. it was just like, why can't I just focus on certain specific tasks or just start things or, you know, the hyperfixations or time blindness, like all these, all these different things that just plus, I think just being a person in the world, you deal with self-doubt, you deal with shame, you deal with all these messages that tell you that you are constantly in process and there's all these marks that we are never gonna either hit or just take forever to hit like the whole never enough message that we hear Mm. a lot right so I think that just being a human existing in this world um with all these messages it's like so common and inevitable that it's going to be hard for us to accept just accept who we are and just like how we're wired But I do think that the moment that we do, we're going to be a lot 
gentler with ourselves. We're going to be a lot more compassionate with ourselves, but also I truly believe one in living in honesty, because I think it's a superpower, but also when you are super honest with yourself, then you can begin to align yourself with a life that is true to you instead of trying to model it after someone else or all these other external, you know, ideas and equations of like who we should be. And so I think on a daily basis, I try to remember my, I try to remind myself like, okay, yeah, there are a lot of socially constructed narratives out there about like who we should be and what we should be doing and how we should model our lives. And I think it has taken some time to practice just getting really honest with myself. And that takes slowing down. We just had an episode on the power of slowness And I do think it requires that to slow down and say, okay, what is me? You know, um, Mm. what really honestly works for me in my life? What really honestly doesn't work for me in my life? Maybe what are some things I need to hand off or what are some things I need more support with? And I think that for me, it's not saying that I'm perfect, right? It's not like going to the other extreme of I'm so perfect and so great level of like self-acceptance, like narcissism, pride, like, right. I think Mm. we fear going into that. And I think that's why sometimes we end up in this false humility where in an attempt to try to reject vanity and pride, we kind of continue to discount ourselves Mm. instead, but that doesn't really do us any good either. Just being really honest about where I am in my life, how I am wired And yeah, just being willing to let everything else go. Like, this is who I am. This is how I was made. And that does take a lot of spending a lot of time with yourself and just getting used to yourself. Right. I really like that you brought out that idea of knowing yourself and Mm -hmm. being okay with that and accepting it, because I think that is the fundamental issue is that you know, this question of radical acceptance um, is so hard because we feel like we're supposed to dot, 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 you know, like we're supposed to be like other people. We're supposed to be at a certain place in life. We're supposed to all of these things. And I think that that feeling, that energy that um, encompasses the idea that I should be somewhere that I'm not, that I'm supposed to be someone that I'm not, just carries so much negative energy. <laughs> it's exhausting. And um, and I think that besides like, oh, okay, wake up in the morning and say your affirmations and every day right, yourself right, in the mirror, right. like those are definitely like things that can help. But this is a deeper question. Mm-hmm. It's a deeper, deeper, fundamental way of being. And I love that you brought out all of those things, especially about your recent diagnosis with ADHD, because mm-hmm. that just also shows you that you're not supposed to be and feel and act and experience life in the same way as the person next to you that might not have that diagnosis, you know, yeah. like the way that our brains, you know, as people who are a little more neurodivergent than others, like then, you know, Mm -hmm. the next person, we're going to function differently. And so throwing out those rules of I'm supposed to be, or I should be, I think is a great 
first step and spending that time with yourself asking really like reflecting who have I been over the last 10 or 15 years since I was a child Mm -hmm. you know what are the common threads that I see in myself my personality my temperament the things that I like my energy am I really someone that like loves to be the life of the party and is extroverted and self-expressive and just like this bold, confident leader, or am I actually the person that just likes peace and quiet? Because we spend a lot of time trying to be other people. And so when we can know ourselves, accept what we find, um, and then everyday practice that. So like practically what that might look like is you're in a group of people and, you know, you're, you feel pressured to act a certain way around them mm-hmm. in order to be accepted. And it's like, well, when you're practicing radical self-acceptance, it's practicing it, especially in front of other people. And so maybe you take a deep breath and you think like, okay, I could go along with this and laugh about it and act in a crazy way that <laughs> does not really fit me. Or I can just, you know, smile and be pleasant and, you know, give whatever my energy wants to give in that moment. And, you know, maybe it also looks like catching yourself in that moment when you are starting to put yourself down, Um, you know, when you're by yourself or when you're working on a project that you don't know if you have what it takes or if you feel vulnerable, catching yourself in those moments and saying, hey, you know what, I've decided that radical self-acceptance is a value and I'm, I'm, I'm practicing it. I'm not allowed to speak badly of, of myself. I'm allowed to learn. I'm allowed to be a learner. I'm allowed to look back and think, okay, I could have done that differently, but I'm not allowed to speak to myself, you know, in a way that breaks down my energy and makes me feel like a bad person or like I'm not good enough. And so I think it really does take practice. Mm-hmm. And yeah. really kind of, um, for me, it was like creating a rule, like no self-hate allowed like I've just I've done the math I've looked back on my life I've written everything down and I've realized that self-hate self-sabotage never helps me as much as my brain makes me think that it does it never helps me so I'll Mm -hmm. acknowledge it I'll learn from my mistakes and I'm gonna speak to myself in a kind way because that's how I'm gonna actually move forward which is my my goal anyway and so yeah, hopefully that's helpful. And I'm really glad um, for whoever asked this question, because um, I think that this is actually, to me, the most fundamental step in living a great life. <laughs> I don't yes. think you can live a great life if you're still stuck in um, invalidating and hating yourself every day. I know. And it's, and that can be easier said than done when like we've spent so many years like in this mentality to the point that it's become our automatic framework that we like automatically see ourselves from a deficit. We're all automatically questioning ourselves and our voice and our thoughts and all of that. So I really love what you said about correcting your thoughts. Um, I think that's really big in terms of practicality is getting in the practice of challenging those thoughts when they come mm-hmm. up. Um, because I think there are constantly thoughts that are popping up to us that we are coming into agreement with that we are not even realizing. It's just happening very quickly, very simultaneously. And so um, well, a practice that I actually like to do is kind of a CBT table. Uh, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy for 
those who aren't familiar. And a big part of it is actually re uh, writing out your thought patterns. So like, mm. what is the trigger yeah. and that is causing yourself doubt and then writing down what is the thought that you're having? Maybe it's nobody cares to hear what I have to say, or mm. I look so horrible in this picture, or maybe it's that you have feelings or rules of like, I need to be perfect in order to show up and then really recognize what that, what those underlying narratives and messages are that are running in the background of your life. And then take the time on the last kind of side of the table to write out how you're going to think differently about it and the ways that you're going to reframe that. So maybe a reframe is I don't have to be perfect to show up. In fact, when I show up as my authentic self, I connect with people in a more real way. Or, you know, I am allowed to make mistakes and learn from them. Or I love every part of the skin that I'm in and my difference is what makes me beautiful or whatever those things are. Yeah, I, I definitely like to highlight taking the time to pull out what is running in the undercurrent of your thoughts because otherwise those thoughts are running us in a subconscious way. Um, and so that's, that's always just really helpful for me. Even to this day, I'm, I'm constantly kind of like writing out Mm -hmm. what is the automatic thought? What is my reframe? And just putting that in practice because thoughts happen in such an automatic way, um, that they'll just run us in our minds. And then we wonder why we've gotten to this state of mind, um, without realizing it. Yeah. I'm very practical and it's a practice. It truly mm-hmm. is a practice. It's a, it's a muscle that you build. And I just really right. want to remind you that if you've been spending the last two decades, three decades of your life, you know, hearing these narratives around you, maybe you adopted it from the people that you grew up around mm-hmm. or whatever as a society, it's kind of acceptable to hate on ourselves a little bit. And so you really have to take those steps and practice the reframing practice, telling yourself a different story. And it truly is a muscle that grows and it becomes easier as you continue to do it, it becomes more automatic. And then you all of a sudden one day realize that it's easier to think well of yourself than it is to hate yourself and to think of yourself in a balanced way is is actually more of your automatic thought process, which is a really wonderful, wonderful thing for your nervous system. (laughs) Yes. And I even think about the idea of reparenting, right? Like that's something that I'm dealing with right now. And I I know reparenting can sound like weird to some people, (laughs) this idea of reparenting yourself when you're not familiar with it. But it's really the idea of like giving yourself what you need, maybe that you didn't get or giving yourself the messages that you need to hear that you didn't get, you know, and giving that back to yourself. Earlier, you were saying, Ranella, something about, um, I put this rule in for myself that I'm not going to talk. There's not going to be, you know, conversations of self-hate. I'm not going to have self-hate in my self-talk. And in a a form that is reparenting because just like you would give boundaries to a child because you know that certain things are going to harm them, it's like you're giving those boundaries to yourself because you know that they could harm you or, you know, be maladaptive in the long run. So it's giving yourself the boundaries that you need. It's giving yourself the messages that you need, the care that you need, the yeah. support that you need. And, and of course, getting those from others as well is really important. Um, but yeah, considering the idea of, of reparenting and speaking back into those parts of yourself that you need to hear. Right. That's beautiful. 
I love that. All right. So our next question is how to switch from thinking about why or what I'm feeling to actually feel it. Spent most of my life avoiding and pushing away feelings and finding it difficult to tap in and really feel. Oh my gosh, this is my question. Like, this is my story. Like, this is my life, you know? And, and I think a lot of us, where maybe we come from backgrounds or upbringings or traumatic experiences where shutting down our emotions was what was needed for survival because feeling everything would have been too much to cope with. It would have been too much, right? And so I had shut down my emotions for years. And in doing so, the way that I coped with that is through intellectualization, which is kind of what I'm hearing in this question, right? You can think about why you're feeling it, you know, and you can even maybe talk about what you're feeling. You might even be a self-aware person and be able to describe these things. But are you actually allowing yourself to feel it in your body? Are you actually like allowing yourself to just really be honest and con and connected to yourself, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think there are a lot of things that disconnect us from ourselves. Um, especially trauma is a big one, you know, um, when it wasn't safe to feel, you know, and so maybe you learned how to numb out. You know, I know for me, I just learned how to turn my emotions off like a switch. It was just like a switch for me. It was like, I just knew how to switch my emotions off because it's just like, I can't feel this. I don't want to feel this. This is too much. This is too mm. harmful. And that's essentially what trauma is, right? It's like, it's, it's an, your inability to cope because it is so it's, it's too much for your nervous system, right? It's too yeah. much for your emotional capacity, um, your mental capacity. And so, you know, for those who are in this space, one, I would consider kind of where that shutdown came from, right? Like, maybe some of the reasons why it served you to shut down at some point, or even maybe within your family of origin, that's how things were handled. You know, mm -hmm. emotions were just not touched on. They weren't dealt with. Maybe things were swept under the rug. So maybe there was a parenting style that was involved. There was some observational learning about how to deal with emotions, you know, right. that carried over, which is happens a lot. I think it, again, like we said, it's a practice of getting re- connected to yourself again, getting reconnected to how does this feel in my body? What am I being really honest about what I am feeling right now? Um, and just kind of like being willing to let down some of those defenses. I don't know where you are now in life, but sometimes we are no longer in those traumatic spaces. Um, and we are no longer in a place where we need to have those defenses, but they just carry over. And right. so finding safe spaces where we can let those down, where we can practice actually being in our bodies and actually being in what we feel, because the problem is when we do not, um, when we aren't connected with ourselves and we do suppress traumas, feelings, and emotions, they kind of tend to come out sideways sometimes, so to speak. They can come out in anger. They can come out in bitterness. They can mm. come out in overwork, trying to escape ourselves in all these ways. And so I think part of what living an honest and fulfilling and liberated life is being um, honestly connected to ourselves. So I think it's wonderful that you're asking this question, that you yeah. even have the self-awareness to realize that this is something that you do because it, it's very common. I think it's something that a lot of us do. And in the hyper speed hustle culture that we live in, it's really easy to do. Oh yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, I think I'm uh, a little bit of the opposite. I think I feel everything, you know, like I'm kind of I the love person that. that I, I definitely let myself feel. And it's just so interesting when I think about it, because now that I've worked with more people who tend to intellectualize, I think also when we think in general, um of men you know they're not allowed to feel many times in society and so they have to intellectualize for some of them they have to find different ways of expressing or just not at all so now that i've worked with more people i'm starting to understand a little bit even more about myself because um on the other side of that is feeling it so deeply too much all the time and for me i would uh, express it in my journal so i have tons of journals And part of that, when I look back, I think is because as, you know, I had middle child syndrome, I was kind of alone a lot when I was younger and I had a lot of invalidated feelings. Like I had a lot of feelings, they were so big. And I was told, you know, like in a, not by people who meant harm, but just that I was too sensitive, but there was something innately within me because I'm more, I don't know what you want to say, right-brained or just emotional that I would go back to my journal. I would go back to my room. I would cry it out. I would get angry. I would write it out and then I was okay, you know? And, um, and then as I got older, I also started realizing that sometimes I would sit in it a little bit too long. So I think that healthy balance is Mm. Yeah. knowing that there are there, you, you have an innate need. Every human does, no matter who you are, you have an innate need to validate emotions within you so that your organs, <laughs> just plainly speaking, don't have to make up for it. So Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is that if you're storing anger and you're storing Mm -hmm. frustration, if you're storing shame, if you're not talking about it, if you're not understanding it, there are other ways you're going to try to compensate. So it's sort of like in the physical world, if you have an injury, you know, maybe on your left leg, your right leg will start compensating. We just find ways to compensate. And so when we go to one extreme or the other, neither is in balance, neither is healthy. And so right. um, when you are shutting down so much or when it, you're so incredibly skilled at bypassing the emotion and going straight to the intellect, sometimes that's very like nice and helpful in the moment. And I wouldn't say that that's all bad either. Like sometimes that's how you just got to get through life, but also know that in in principle like that feeling that emotion that experience that happened where that person you know maybe it's a loved one especially a spouse yelled at you like put you down all that stuff and you just stuff that down and try to keep going your subconscious feels it your nervous system is taking Mm -hmm. note of it so how do you actually process it in a way because fundamentally i think people who do intellectualize more i don't think that they're supposed to become highly emotional people that cry and journal and like are just (laughs) up in their feelings that's not going to happen and vice versa i'm never going to be the person that's going to go straight to intellectualizing it and just be like i'm okay and move on like i'm never going to be that but one thing that you can do i think if you go straight and you bypass is out of principle maybe because i think those people tend to work on that level a little bit more out of principle Um, If you start noticing that something is um, bothering you, you know, like there is a feeling that you're having, you're noticing, start to notice some of the 
the tightness in your chest. Start to notice some of the thoughts in your mind towards someone. If you're starting to notice they're taking on an energy that you don't love, that you don't like, then ask yourself, okay, is there a way that in the next week or in the next few weeks, I can number one, talk to someone safe about it and talk to them in a way of like, try to use feeling words when you talk to someone. So don't try to solve it. Don't try to intellectualize it. Talk to someone you can be vulnerable, vulnerable with and talk about feelings. So like feeling words, feelings like um, that hurt me. It made me feel small. It made me feel like I was not good enough. Try to find and lean into those words. It's not, not probably not going to be as um, uh, second nature, but when you do talk to someone, try to lean into the feeling words. And then I would also say, um, try to, uh, try to find a way physically to let the emotion out in some way, shape or form. So that could be going on a run that could be sitting in your car and putting on sad music every once in a while. If you have to do this out of principle, just to like, you're, you're kind of just giving your organs and your body a little bit of a chance to feel their feelings. Mm -hmm. And so whether you're talking to a therapist, talking to a good friend, um, going on a run, trying to journal, you know, even if it's just a quick half a page type of thing, um, sitting in your car with sad music, like just for a tiny bit, don't go too deep. Sometimes you just have to do it out of principle just to like kind of that little release every month. And and not to say that that's going to be the solution, but that might help you access a little bit more of those feelings too. I literally have a Spotify playlist that's called Feel in all caps. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Such a great idea. And it's just what I listen to that helps me like be present. And it just sometimes it's so great when you find music that kind of puts the words to what you're feeling. Yeah. Even though you're not in the moment, maybe able to express it all yourself. And so I have found music definitely to be something that helps me reconnect with my emotions and like what I'm really feeling. And I love that you said that because there is a balance, right? There is a, like, you also don't want to have your feelings and emotions running you all the time, right? Um, But it is important because too, I feel like, at least for me, the more I'm connected to myself, the better I am connected to others in a very Mm. real and an authentic way. And we tend to have the same emotional capacity for others that we hold for ourselves. So if we bypass our emotions, we tend to bypass those emotions in other people. If we're callous with ourselves, we tend to be callous and not as compassionate and understanding with other people. And so often how we deal with other people and their emotions can be a reflection of how we kind of deal with our own. And so even just in a relational term, Mm. if we want to be safer people, if we want to be more connected people and we want to be able to access that capacity, then a lot of that is going to start with our relationship to ourselves. Ooh, that's good. You can almost like, you can almost gauge how connected you are to how, um, to what level to 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 the level of tolerance you have mm-hmm. for other people sharing their emotional issues with you if you don't have 
a lot of tolerance. You're feeling uncomfortable with their emotions. You're like yeah. unsure how to deal with them. It's making you feel really uncomfortable. Then that might be a nice little sign for you to know, hey, right. there's could be a little bit more inner work because this is actually just part of being a human is knowing how to manage the highs and lows of daily life and helping other people to do that too, whether you're a therapist or not, you're just a right. regular person. Uh, we all want and need relationships. You're gonna have a boyfriend or girlfriend or a parent or a sister or a best friend, like holding space mm -hmm. for other people. So I, I really like that you said that because um, that can also be a little sign for how much space we maybe need to hold for ourselves too. Yeah, and, and also like, when we've repressed so much for so long, when we've yeah. run away from our wounds or our traumas and we've just learned to blanket them and move on, a lot of us, there are a lot of us who are just forward thinking thinkers and we're just mm -hmm. very solution oriented. And it's like, yeah. let me just find a fix for this and move on. And so we can deal with our emotions in that way. We can try to be just very efficient with our emotions because we feel like I don't have time to let emotions drag me down. Yeah. Like I don't have time for the, my emotions to get in the way. I have things to do. Like I don't have time to deal with messy emotions, right? There is a real like kind of efficiency to bypassing. Yeah. Or in my case, I know it was like, if I actually start feeling things and if I actually start going back and reflecting on things that I've suppressed, that's like Pandora's box. Like yeah. I don't want to open that because once I open all of that, like all those wounds, all those traumas, all those things that are what built in me the defense to shut everything down and intellectualize to cope and survive. Like, I don't know if I mentally and emotionally can like come back from going down that mm. road because I spent so many years keeping that door closed, Wow, you know? And so sometimes there can be a fear of getting back in touch with ourselves and things like yeah. that, because we're just afraid of everything that it's going to unlock in us. Um, and how far down the rabbit hole that's going to take us because mm. we know that there's so much there that's been untouched for so long that we've tried to keep hidden and suppressed. And we just don't have time for those things to get into right. our lives today because we're doing so much better now and we're on a different page and we turn the chapter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so right. um, again, just these are just things to reflect on as far as um, I don't survive how we, I don't judge how we survive and cope. Yes. It happens for a reason. There's yes. a reason why we create walls and defenses around ourselves, our emotions. The re there are reasons why we disconnect to our from ourselves because it's the way that we survived. Mm. And um, But I think that there can be healing and that there can be new patterns and we can do this in a balanced way. And I think that is what it means to be mentally and emotionally whole. I think that is what it means to have mental and emotional maturity and to have a self-awareness. And I think that we are just all better people for it in going yeah. through the world that way. Um, I mean, imagine going through the world with a bunch of mentally and emotionally aware and mature people, right? Like that would be amazing, but it does take that work. And so, um, so yeah, I, I appreciate this and I relate to this question a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I would definitely say going back to the first question that we had, is if you are someone that finds it hard to connect with um, all of the, the processing and the emotional processing because you're afraid of what it might also bring up, it's that radical right. acceptance of like, hey, you know mm -hmm. what? Our story is our story. 
what we've experienced, you know, in, in our past is, it can be a lot, but we're all just human. <laughs> we're all just so human. And maybe let me experience just a little, like a little bit of that self-validation. Cause at the end of the day, I think that's what it's about. Feeling is about validating what you went through without telling yourself that you should have done things differently or that you can't feel because you know you shouldn't have done that in the first place or thought that in the first place or whatever so i think um just going back to that radical self-acceptance it, it all kind of ties yeah. in too so um yeah. and it gets better too when you know how to care for yourself through it right yeah. like i love the term you're not trying to cure for yourself you're trying to care for yourself because you mm. are going to bump against feelings and emotions that are uncomfortable yeah. and um, that are difficult and that are challenging. And that's just a part of the human experience. But when you develop the coping skills for this discomfort, right? When you learn, okay, this is an uncomfortable feeling, or I'm just having a really down day. Like I just feel really yeah. sad or this really affected me. And you know, to treat yourself like, okay, like, Hey, I'm going through this. What do I need? Maybe I need to just sit back and get my, I don't know, cozy blanket and a warm cup and just take it easy. Or maybe I need to call a friend right now, or maybe I need to journal mm. right now, or maybe I need to set up an appointment with a therapist, or maybe I just need to take a walk outside or, you know what, I'm going to exercise or take a run, you know, yeah. to kind of get this energy out of what's going on. Right. Um, I think when you can develop that type of lifestyle too, um, because when you're first reaccessing all of those emotions, right. If you feel like they have nowhere to go, yeah. then that can feel like a lot. But if you, if you no longer label emotions as bad, sadness, anger, what have you as bad, and you realize, oh, this is, this is a message. These emotions are messengers. They're trying to tell me something. And yeah. I actually need to just care for myself through these emotions that I feel like makes it so much, not necessarily easier, but it helps you get better at processing and dealing with things um, rather than just shutting them down. Because that is my tendency. I am an, I have, my tendency is avoidant dismissive. <laughs> mm. So very hyper independent way of dealing with things and just shutting yeah. things off and taking it onto myself. And so, um, yeah, being able to learn how to have difficult emotions, have messy emotions, mm. to feel them, but to take care of yourself through them um, practice that self-care is really just going to help you move through the world in a way that is in touch, you know, and that is connected. You are connected to yourself, but you're also not letting it all overtake you. Right. So that's beautiful. definitely suggest being able to care for yourself through challenging emotions. Yeah, these are good. We've gotten through two questions in the last 30 minutes. So, um, but yeah, these, these are just such great topics. Um, the next question is the world is heavy right now. Tips to focus mm -hmm. and act where we should, which I think, mm -hmm. um, as, as empaths, we definitely understand that. And if you, um, watch the news or on social media, there is always, you know, so much happening. And especially right now we're going into an election year here in the States oh, yeah. and that affects so many people. Um, affects our emotions, everything that's happening worldwide, all the conflicts and just um, really sad things that we see on the news. And uh, not to mention, um, 
you know, whatever you might be having, you know, whatever's going on in your own personal life and the lives of the people around you. And so I think that life does feel heavier and heavier the older you get because you are more aware, you care more, you yes. feel you're more able, you feel a little bit more able to maybe help or use your voice. And with that comes this feeling of responsibility and um, that feeling of like, what if I'm not doing enough? Um, the truth is, is that we all live in our own worlds. And I think it's very wise. It's very um, kind. It's generous. And it's good of, of anyone who looks around and feels for the people that are experiencing all of the tragedies and things that, that are going on in the world today. Like, I think that feeling just really validating the fact that this hurts you and this um, is heavy on you. Um, just being able to validate that like, hey, I, I, I care, like I'm a good person and I, I really do care because sometimes, sometimes we don't know what to do. Sometimes you do feel yeah. frozen and then it makes you feel like yeah. a bad person if you're not doing enough. And I, I really do appreciate the voices that are out there, the voices of, um, of change, the voices that are shaking things up, the voices of people that are like, Mm -hmm. Get off your butt and do something. The people that are like on those front lines of like, hey, this is what we need to do because I think we need those people in the world. We need to like hear those voices. And yet at the same time, we also always have to return back to mm -hmm. where am I at right now? What can I do? What am I called to do? What is my capacity? And um, what is realistic for me? And it is just really hard because I don't think there's a single human on earth that has the capacity to take on all the weight of the world and be successful at it and feel right. like they're, you know, and actually feel good. You know, like how much can you really do and feel great about what's happening? You're not going to get to that point. And so you do, there is kind of that responsibility to come back to yourself and say, hey, maybe my, my role in this is to create awareness maybe my role in this is to speak out about it. Maybe I am part of a privileged group and I could say something that could um, kind of help people, you know, support this group of people. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it is to be that person that goes and um, demands justice and, and whatever it is. But um, I know that it is an individual experience while we're learning collectively how to make change in our world. And that can feel yeah. very, very heavy. So I want to validate that and you know validate all the sides because we have the privilege of sitting here on a podcast in you know with the sun streaming through our window and and not a care almost in the world why living in california while the rest of the world goes through who knows what and the truth is is that in the, any moment the rules could be reversed at any moment i could be going through something or you could be going through something or we could be you know yeah. Um, in a war or whatever. And, and of course we would wish that other people would be there for us too. And right, so right. it's, it's that empathy that allows you to step into someone else's experience and say, how can I help? What can I do? And yet coming back to the sustainability of your own mental health and where you're at. Yes. And hopefully every season, every, you know, season of life, continuing to expand that ability to help while also coming back to your own self-care, your own needs, um, and guarding yourself so that you have the capacity to help people.
I love that you said that literally just hitting on everything that I would have said, honestly, and just knowing like, where do I have the capacity to act or where do I have the Mm. capacity to like further the conversation? Maybe it's with people in your life. And that's the thing, like everybody's playing different roles. And I think sometimes there is a pressure that everyone should be playing a certain type of role or should be acting Mm. in a certain type of way. And I think actually change comes when people are in their circles and their spheres of influences and their positions doing what they can where they are. And it's going to look different from person to person. And you just have to figure out like what role you do play and change or what you do have the capacity for and being really um, realistic about that. Because like you said, it's overwhelming. And that leads to another question that was asked. And that was what about compassion fatigue, you know, and compassion, compassion fatigue is essentially when you are so overwhelmed by the dread, you are so overwhelmed by everything that's happening and by all of the bad news and by all of the tragedy and it's tragedy after tragedy. And, Mm. you know, we used to live in a world where there was a certain time of day where the news came on. And now we live in a world where the news is coming in nonstop because we're in social media and we are constantly connected to what's going on around the world 24 seven, you know? And so that is putting us in a that's just that's putting us in just a completely different way of being than we mm. have in the past. Mm-hmm. I believe that I believe it's putting us actually all in a constant state of fight or flight and in a right. constant state of anxiety. And yeah. there is that that point of how do you balance setting boundaries around bad news for your own meant for your own mind, but also Mm. remaining aware to what's going on to the world around you. And so maybe you do have time boundaries where you say, Hey, maybe you have your places that you check in to see what's going on in the world, or you're, you're taking your time learning, reading, listening to podcasts, listening to other individuals who are more expertise in this. And then you at certain times to say, I'm going to cut it off, right? Like between the hours of, you know, between the hours of, you know, 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. I cut off all news because that's really you know good. You have to give mm-hmm. yourself a mental break. So I, I like to talk a lot about one being able to have boundaries around your news intake because it has shown that that definitely leads to negative mental health outcomes if you have too much bad news that is surrounding you. Um, and I get it. It's like, there is an adrenaline rush and even an addiction to continuously going down the rabbit hole of bad news. And then you're going down the comments and everyone's then arguing around the comments around it. I mean, it is a lot. And so that leads to that side of compassion fatigue, where you are just now apathetic, right? Right. Like you said, Renella, like you're paralyzed. You're just like, now you're so overwhelmed that you don't know where to start, what to do. You feel completely hopeless. You feel completely helpless. And now you start feeling like, how could anything that I do even make a difference or make a change? Or is it even going to help anything? Right. And so I would say that actually being overwhelmed by all these things is not really serving you. We think it is by being more informed, but in the bigger picture, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's better to like, take what you need to learn and know, and then just figure out kind of the small ways within your circle, within your proximity that you can act. Um, and, and honestly, 
let it be enough because because yeah. at the end of the day you are just a human being like you are not god like you are not the savior of the world <laughs> like you know like we also don't want to like overestimate like what we can do because that can right. lead to paralysis but we also right. don't want to underestimate what we can do and just be really thoughtful about some real steps that we can make and if you don't know enough about something or you don't know have enough expertise about something and you're feeling helpless because you're like I want to talk about this issue or I'm really concerned about this tragedy or what's happening but I don't really have the words or the vocabulary highlight people who do you know amplify the voices that yes. are talking about this just by helping spread the message, um, you are doing something. So even just being willing to amplify those who do have more information and knowledge on this. I know for me, sometimes that means like bringing on a guest on the podcast mm -hmm. or bringing on, you know, someone who has a voice around this, who can speak to it. It doesn't always just have to be us, right? right? That's that savior syndrome. And so, yeah, just taking care of yourself. Sometimes I think there is self-care guilt. I know I have it where you're like, this, all these things are happening around the world. You're seeing these images, you're seeing what people are going through and you're sitting comfortably in your home and you right. just feel so guilty about that. You're just like, you know, I should be over there, like on the front lines. I should <laughs> yeah. grab a flight. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I need to do something. But at the same time, I feel you feel guilty about your privilege, you know? Yeah. Um, but that also doesn't help. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, to an extent, a certain amount can get you moving. I think right. there's a certain amount of that reality of understanding that you have privilege and you should be using that. That is, that is uh valid and valuable. Um, but too much guilt on the other hand is paralyzing and it's demobilizing right. and we don't want that either. So having that healthy balance of care for self so that you can replenish yourself so you can be if work from a foundation where you have the capacity to do the work and to mm -hmm. do the things that you can do. That's something that I definitely recommend for people who are advocates and people yeah. who are in advocacy because advocacy burnout is so real and it's so heavy because you're constantly fighting and fighting and fighting for things that may, you may barely push the needle on in your lifetime, right? Because right? sometimes change doesn't really cross yes. over to another generation. Yeah. Right. And so you might not see the needle fully push, but we're pushing it like in small ways over time, hoping there will be a ripple effect. So also you're part of a ripple effect and you do have actions big and small that are like ripples where it does, uh, it does lead to a shift, um, mm. across our humanity, whether it's a conversation that you have with one person and it gets some thinking about things or whether it's one thing that you share or something else that you, one other thing that you learn, like you are, um, infusing, uh, small steps of change into our society that are a part of a collective. And yeah. so knowing that you are part of a collective and, um, and that I do believe things add up. And so, um, yeah, take care of yourself, be gentle with yourself, do what you can you know, and, and, and let it be enough and don't let anybody freaking bully you. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other, you know, I sometimes agree. people bully you, like you're not doing enough or you're not, da -da -da, you're not, right, da -da -da. it's like, right. okay. You know, re only, you know, what you can do, re you know, assess that, you know, some people yes. can give, there's so many different ways to give. Some people can give financially. Some people can give as volunteers on the ground. Some people can give their 
voice in a public way. Some people can give through the, the people that they're connected to in their network that they can have conversations with who may have some power. Like find your avenue, find your circle and your mm -hmm. way that you can do it and, and let that be enough. That's your lane. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, absolutely. I think it's, um, it's really important to become aware, inform yourself, learn, mm -hmm. grow, have conversations, do what you can. Um, but especially the point that you made about um, the fact that sometimes change takes a while. And yes. we don't love that, you know, <laughs> like 80 to 100 years that we all live here on this earth um, is actually not that long. Um, it, it, it feels long, sometimes it feels short. Um, but but times sometimes, you know, like it, it takes generations. And yeah, so I just I read an article the other breaths. day, <laughs> recently Martin Luther King Jr. Day about mm. how he was not liked during his time. Yeah. Like most Americans mm -hmm. disapproved of him, especially when he was against the war in Vietnam. And he was like, and here we see him as like the biggest change maker, mm -hmm. one of the biggest change makers in civil rights. And now he has a whole day after him and we adore him and he's seen as a hero and blah, blah, blah. But during his time, yeah, right. he was not liked by most Americans. And so that also is a reality. You know, yeah. it's like sometimes it's not until the next generation or some decades that pass that we get to see, we get to look back and see, oh, wow, we were on that side of history that pushed the needle a little bit. And at mm -hmm. least if I was able to do everything in the world, I know that my integrity aligned with this yeah. and I acted in ways that I could. Um, and I was that person. So, yeah, exactly. Oh, good question. Um, moving on here. Why is it important, okay. Whitney, to have a <laughs> season of singleness? Why is that important? Oh, and I know we've talked about how sometimes singleness is not a season. <laughs> yes, sometimes exactly. It is just life exactly. for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but I know for me, singleness was maybe more of a season. And I do appreciate that I, I, I selectively chose and decided I am going to be single during this time. So I guess I'll mm. speak from that context of like deliberately, intentionally choosing a, a period of time to be single and to not get caught up in dating because I just really wanted to work on myself. I had gotten out of a, a divorce from my early 20s and I needed to reflect on how I ended up in the relationship I was in and all of the patterns that led me there and how I was kind of always in a relationship and like why, <laughs> you know, and the types <laughs> of relationships I was choosing and how I just want to, uh, how I want to enter my relationships going forward in a different, healthy way. And a big part of that for me was I need to break, I needed to heal from codependency. I had yes. a really big codependency issue. I needed to be in a relationship to feel like I was worth choosing and to feel that I was worth loving and that I was validated and that I was attractive and that I was like all these things. Yeah. I needed those things to be externally proved to me. And the best way that those were proved to me was through being in a relationship. And so that caused me to react to kind of whoever was interested in me, especially when I was younger, you know? And so then yeah. I'm not choosing relationships because they're good for me. I'm choosing relationships because someone wants me. 
you know, mm, yes. and, oh and that feels good. Right. Right. So I think I, at least for me, having those seasons of singleness helped break that off of me. You know, mm-hmm. it helped break off that codependency and and learning how to find all of those needs, not only in myself, yeah. but also in other non-romantic relationships around me that also loved and cared for me and that were just as important mm-hmm. um, and in community and stuff. So from my perspective and in my own personal experience, I think it can be important to um, have some intentional singleness so that you can really have that sacred time and space to really reflect on your patterns, reflect Mm. on some of your defaults with relationships, some of your habits, um, some of your tendencies, maybe especially if it's end up in toxic relationships, why maybe you choose the type of people you choose. And are you choosing people because of love or are you reacting to people because of attention, attraction, because they want you. Um, I think this really gives you the the time to slow down and reflect on your values about who you are as a person and what you really like and what you really don't like and what works for you and what doesn't work for you because it allows you to go into your next relationships more clearly. Like being able to have that clarity and that self-awareness when you go into your next relationship is so nice because then you can – Date someone, you can say, you know what, this is a great person, but they're just not a fit for me. And you've maybe saved yourself like a lot of time of just getting into something to be in something yeah. because you took the because you were clear kind of on who you are and what meshes with you and what doesn't. Um, so I think it can be time saving um when it comes to relationships for sure. But you know, I said before in our podcast on singleness, like Jason got such a healthier version of me. Like if he <laughs> yeah. What if me five years earlier, he would have been dating a completely different type of person. Mm. Um, I just wasn't differentiated very well. Um, There was a lot of enmeshing that took place in my relationships and a lot of my worth and value was tied to my relationships. Mm. And so then when I had that time of singleness and started dating him, it was kind it was nice because there was no pressure and it was just so fun loving and and free. There was so much freedom in our dating life and our in our relationship because Love that. I had that feeling of, you know what? Whether or not this works out, I'm okay. Like I'm right. gonna be okay because yeah. I'm okay with who I am and I know where I'm going and I know what I want out of life. And yeah. you know, whether or not you're a part of that. I'm still going to be me doing the things that I feel mm. called to do rather than I, I I need to be with someone, you know, um, you know, to, to prove that, you know, I, I'm loved or whatever it is. Yes. So I think that's what it does. Again, it just helps break down some of the narratives that are running in our lives. Some of the patterns, especially if you keep getting into a toxic relationship pattern, it helps you kind of break off from that. It also helps you get used to and comfortable with and familiar with yourself and being alone. And that is like the freest place that you can be when you're like, I can be alone and have peace. I can be alone and feel comfortable in my skin. I can be alone and do things that I love and make myself happy. And like, that is so freeing, you know? And then you will go into your next relationship, you know, with that same freedom and health and that secure attachment. Um, 
which is going to just lead to a greater relationship life. Not saying you have to do these things in order for a relationship, Mm -hmm. but it's just a really great bright byproduct of that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love all of that. I would, I would agree. And, And I think that when we say being single, um, I think that it's really important to have a time if you are the type of person that's just like really wants to get into a relationship and, you know, always dreams about it and imagines yourself with people and always has your crushes and is always looking for the next person. There's always someone on the radar. You know, it, it's real nice when you have a, a time when there's no one on the radar, <laughs> like no crushes, no real like you know, um, and, and you're not seeing anyone even, I mean, this is what they call voiceover. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that term, oh, no, do they? Um, but this is uh, kind of something that's been going around, which is essentially like, no, you know, you're not seeing anyone, you're not sleeping with anyone, you're not kissing anyone, you're not doing anything with a partner you are literally just with yourself. So sometimes when we say single, it's like, oh yeah, I'm not in a relationship, but I'm, you know, like maybe like hanging out with people here and there. This is like voiceover. But are you voiceover? Exactly. I, I actually really think that this is a great experience, especially if you are the type of person that's like always in a relationship or always in a situationship or always, you know, doing something because whether we like it or not, a lot of times um, we're going from person to person, we're going from idea to idea, we're going from situationship to situationship because there is something about being alone and right. by ourselves that is so deep and dark and unwanted and just you know doesn't feel great. And um, I've been there. I have actually mm-hmm. really truly Same. been there. I am that person that kind of, you know, once I started dating, I like was always in a relationship, you know, maybe it'd be like six months. And and I'm not talking about like a four month stint. I mean, this is like, I was with someone for two and a half years or I was with someone for like a year and it's really serious and we want to get married and then we break up. And then I felt like I needed to be in another relationship again, Mm -hmm. because similar to what you said, there was a lot of value I was getting subconsciously from feeling um, needed and wanted and loved. And so this is a a great time for you. And it is scary. It is like, you know, not something that feels great at first. And I I think that when that, uh, that phase, that stage, that experience comes to find you, you'll know it. Because Mm. I've been single before without the experience of really liking my own company and i think that that takes time to build sometimes it'll happen when you're single you know in between boyfriends sometimes it won't and i think there's a defining time for a a woman um whether Mm -hmm. that time frame is you know a year between relationships five years eight years between relationships or this is just kind of also your new normal It's a defining time for a woman that I think is very deeply important because having um, this space, this capacity, this energy, you have to get really creative about your social environment. This is when you start really leaning into your female friendships. This is when you really start leaning into just the, um, you know, your own purpose. 
your your passion, what you want to do in your life. Yes. And you start developing and putting together pieces of yourself that I think um, can't happen as fully. Um, yes. It can happen, but there's something about doing it on your own um, that allows you the full expression of like truly I come first in my life and I matter, my emotions matter. And, um, you know, you get to really get to know yourself. And like you were saying, you find yourself in a relationship um, afterwards and you don't have the desperate energy and you right. don't have the energy of like, oh my goodness, what does he think of me? Will he choose me? Am I good enough? Why didn't he call me? Like, if you still feel that way, I would really urge you, you know, as much as the universe and, you know, life and the process will bring to you to have that time where you really are truly by yourself, because going into a relationship with that energy will actually cause you a lot more pain and a yeah. lot more anxiety. Your nervous system will be everywhere versus going into a relationship like you were saying like, I don't need you, but I want you and you're interesting and you make me feel good. And this, this is great. Let's see where it goes, but I'm not so quickly attached to you in a like soul needing way where like, you're my person and we were meant for each other. And I just love you so much. And like, no one can ever separate us like red flags everywhere. <laughs> right. Even that used to be like the romantic, like, oh my God, we're on the top. We're like on top of the world. This is meant for me. Now I'm like red flags, red flags, red flags, and not red flags necessarily for them. Red flags for me. <laughs> like don't date right. me if I'm that energy. Right. Um, yeah. because it's, it's just, that's not how, that's not how the nature of a loving, truly healthy relationship, it cannot thrive when one or both people have these massive gaps in their own sense of self, it actually cannot thrive. So when you take that time to fill in those gaps and strengthen, but like you said, it's not like you have to be fully quote unquote healed. Like what does right, that even right. mean? But you should have a strong sense of self. I will say that. I think you mm -hmm. should have a strong sense of self before you go into a relationship because you'll enjoy it more. You'll be more set up for success. And you'll also, you know, not have to deal with all the, the drama and the wasted time and um, the trauma of being codependent in a relationship. Because most likely, if you're also in that codependent energy, you're attracting people who are fundamentally yes. not going to be good for you. So you're going to like sit on this roller coaster. Here we go again. It's always going to end up right in the same place. Get off the roller coaster. Get away from the theme park. Walk away. Yeah. Go into that season and that that time where you can really get to know yourself, love yourself, love your company, dream again, mm -hmm. be you, love your freaking life and and then and then hopefully if you want to get into a relationship like when you're ready go look for someone you know and and be available and open mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so funny because I was like prepared to be single for like I was like forever just because yeah. I was like in, 
school. And I was like, maybe after I finish, you know, my education, I'll find someone, I'll meet someone. Like I was yeah. fully prepared for it. I love that and energy then, though. I yeah, like that energy. I already had a, I already had yes. a path. I already knew what I wanted and what I was doing in life. And I was excited for what I, for my life. And, you know, I remember Jason coming along and I remember thinking like, that's the other thing. When you get to that place, you're like, next person who comes into my life, they're going to have to add on to what I already have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or you're just like, they can't take it down. Like they're, they're right. not going to be necessarily perfect. Right. But like, because I have already built a place of peace and security in my life, yeah, you're going to want someone who matches that, that peace and that security. Right. Yes. And like you were saying, cause you kind of attract what you are, so to speak. Um, and so when you also give that off, you are more likely to attract those types of people. Just being able to feel like I love my life enough to where it it feels whole and like oh. whoever else comes along, they'll just be a blessing. They'll be a bonus. They'll be a right. bonus to what I already have going into my life rather than someone who's going to come and fulfill a gap in my life or a hole in my life or someone who's going to make me feel more worthy than I already feel. I already know I'm worthy. Like yes. I already love myself. I'm already doing the things that I love. Um, I don't need you to come and replace those things, you know, um, mm. you're going to, but you can just be a bonus onto what I already have going. And that's how I felt, uh, with our relationship. And because of that, like, gosh, how do I say this? It was different than any other relationship I'd ever been in because mm. it was so tempered. Like it was such a tempered relationship <laughs> because it was so healthy and it was it so was secure. reflective of who you were yeah. too. And then Jason's a secure person and he's just like a healthy individual and yeah. I think, but I, I am biased, but I think he's a very tempered oh, guy. I love and like him, yes. Great yes. head on his shoulders, you know? And and so it's like our relationship was like the we just just had good communication. It was very mature. It was very tempered. I am used to these intense relationships that are volatile, that are up and down. And, and, and when you have been, when you've either grown up in environments that are traumatic or volatile in that way, yeah. you think that's a part of love, right? Like you think that's a right. part of love. And so you not only attract or, or stay in or pick relationships that are full of drama and volatile and everything like that, you actually, right. you assume that as a type of love. Like yeah. this is how love is supposed to feel. You're supposed to feel really passionate about them. You're supposed to have all of these outbursts and and fights and, and fights are normal in relationships. I'm not saying they're not, but like yeah. the up and down, the up and down roller coaster of it, this on fire. Like we think that that's passion. Yeah. Um, we think that that's love. Like even this just self-sacrificial losing all of myself for this person, like that is love. And whether that's because of the homes that we were raised in, where that's how we received love and that's how our messages of love were. Mm -hmm. Then when you heal and you move forward and you learn to regulate, there's this thing going around about how a healthy relationship or a healthy person will seem boring to you. Right. They'll either seem boring to you or seem like, um, oh my gosh, this relationship either like doesn't have a whole lot of life or it's not exciting or it's not da 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 da. And it's because you are in an emotionally you are in an emotionally regulated relationship and yeah. you are in safety. And safety can feel boring to someone who's used to volatility and codependency and enmeshing and these big ups and downs and this self sacrifice, you know, and, and all of that. And so. Yeah. That is 
that is the other thing I, like you said, just when you're single, you learn how to re-regulate and you learn how to get comfortable and familiar with safety. So when a safe person comes along and a good person comes along, you're not seeing them as uninteresting or this is not passionate enough, or this is not whatever enough, you know, um, because now you are safe. Um, and now you know how to live, um, and regulate and find fulfillment in safety. And there are other exciting things that you can do together that make it fun and exciting and full of life. And it doesn't have to be volatile, to be passionate love, you know, um, and in the long run that tends to not be great for your stress or your mental health anyway. So that's a whole other topic. I know we'll talk about love and relationships more next month, but that was something else that I wanted to keep. I wanted to bring up is that it will help you align with relationships and see them as healthy and safe instead of overlooking, you know, the good guy or just seeing it as boring or what have you. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's like you have to kind of fall in love more with how they make you feel than if they check off all these boxes. And I think it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of self-awareness. And, you know, Hollywood and media has not helped that um, because, you know, we we get the really quick love stories and the meet cutes and all of those things. And yeah, I've had the meet cutes. I've had the cute stories, but they've never ended well. (laughs) So that, um, that actually leads us to our next question, which, um, I don't, I don't know if maybe we can do this question and then maybe just choose one more because we're kind of great one one time, but, um, how do you know when to end a relationship and how do you end it well? Um, this is, this could be a whole podcast, so maybe we can just kind of share our two cents, but yeah, this is, this is a good one. Um, I'm, um, yeah, go for it. (laughs) I I was going to say, I, I really would have to think about this because I, did I end, I didn't end most of my relationships. In fact, I feel like some of them just kind of fell off. Um, uh, yeah, I, mind you, I was with my son's father from 16 into my twenties. So, and then we were married and then I had like a period of singleness. I dated a little bit and then I, you know, met my husband. So I personally, from personal experience, am not the most expertise in this one. Mm, Um, but I do know that in, in one of my dating relationships, I know I brought it up. I realized that we were just going in different directions and, um, he at that point was looking for marriage. I, at that point was not, I was just trying to heal (laughs) and try to figure myself out and my life out. Uh, and it just, it just wasn't a fit. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a great guy. I'm like, whoever like marries this guy is going to be great. We're just not a fit for each other. Um, and so ending it well, I did it over the phone and, um, we kind of lived kind of far apart. So, and I, and I just didn't want to, I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to keep leading him on until like we Mm -hmm. see each other again. I'm like, no, we need to talk. And I just let him know, like, first of all, like you're an amazing guy. And that probably already sounds like he knows where it's going. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh no. It'd be nice and start softening the blow. (laughs) He probably felt that he probably felt that I was softening the blow for sure. Right. Right. Uh, But I just let him know like that I, I, that this is what he wants. This is the direction he's going in and I'm not yeah. there. And because I respect him and because I think he is such a great person and I really value him, 
I don't want to lead him on and then us end up not being on the same page or him end up wanting something that like I don't want and then that Mm. causing an issue down the line. And and then I basically also wanted to protect his heart by being honest yeah. um, because otherwise I just, what I lead you on and then we get further and further in relationship, it gets deeper and deeper and then it hurts even more because mm-hmm. we've built more of an attachment. In right. my mind, the healthiest and the most caring and loving thing I could do was be honest with him, you know, sooner rather than later so that things wouldn't progress and get more serious and go deeper Um, and just be playing along. So it's kind of a ripping off the bandaid. It's kind of like, because it's Mm going to hurt either way, either you kind of rip the bandaid off now and you deal with the discomfort of it, or you just wait so much longer and things just get, it gets harder and harder. And then it gets even worse because now you've built this really strong or deep or longstanding attachment. So yeah, to me, it was just better to be honest sooner than later. And I was very honest with him about what I was wanting, what I was seeing, what I was feeling, and that because I cared about him, I felt that I owed it to him to be honest so that he could know, you know, what direction to go in with himself in his life. And so I actually do think honesty is a gift. Sometimes yes. in the moment, yes. it feels scary and it feels painful and it feels like we're hurting someone, but in the long run, I do believe honesty is the best gift that we can give people and people will cope. People mm-hmm. learn how to cope. We learn how to cope and move on. And so not to feel too overly responsible yeah. for like how people cope, they will. Um, and I think it's just important to do our part and be in our integrity by, and these are one of the phrases I heard growing up, guarding people's hearts, right? But it's just like, <laughs> to me in that time, it was like, this is how I'm guarding his heart by being honest. Yeah. Right. Oh, I love that. I love that word. I think whenever you talk about breakups, you have to talk about honesty because you have to be honest with yourself. And I know a lot of people who literally avoid conflict so much that they refuse to be honest with the person that they supposedly love. And they refuse to be honest with them about how they really feel. Maybe they actually don't even really know how they feel themselves and they're trying to justify it for themselves. But um, like you said, people can take care of themselves. Honesty is number one. You cannot lead someone on when you already know in the back of your mind that this is not the best person for you. And um, I will say that I have been broken up with and I've also broken up with people a few times. And every single time, it, it always came down to as much as uh, like as disconnected from myself as I thought I was and I felt back then. I've always been very connected to um, my nervous system and how a person makes me feel. And at the end of the day, um, for one guy, I broke up with him because we tried for so long and, and you know i've always you know as i've said i've dated really nice wonderful generous people really good guys but at the end of the day for one of the guys i just felt like he cared more about work than he did about me and i knew like i'm just so honest with myself and i think it's because i come from parents who aren't together so i you know have this heightened 
um, awareness of what it looks like when things break down in, in, in a very real way in your family. And that's something I never want to show to my children. And not that that was any of my parents' fault, but it's just, it was life. And so yeah. trying to learn from that. And so I know that if I am not truly cared for, seen, heard, loved, if I don't feel safe, if I don't feel emotionally safe and I don't feel happy, then the relationship's not going to be happy. Like, because I also know fundamentally, especially because I'm a woman who dates, uh, you know, heterosexual men, like I know that those men need to feel successful in relationships. I know that they need mm -hmm. to feel that they are making me happy. I know that fundamentally about men, that it is important for them and it's important for women too. But for a man, it's like, he, he he has to know that he's taking care of his woman and that she is happy with him and that she enjoys him and that she feels safe with him. Fundamentally, I know that's what they need from me. And if I know I cannot give that to them because that is not truly how I feel, at that point is when I start getting really honest with myself. And to me, it's more of an act of kindness towards them and an act of kindness towards myself to, like you said, rip the bandaid off and say, this is not going where we thought it was. You're a wonderful person. I'm going to miss you forever. I'm going to love you forever. Of course we never do. <laughs> <laughs> I always respect those guys, but we all know that we don't love, we still, my exes and I still don't love each other. It's not how it works. Um, and now having been around the block, you know that, but when it's your first breakup, you're like, how will I ever love again? You know, you're just like, this is never, you know, the pain will never go away. Yeah, it goes yeah. away. It goes away. You find yourself, you're okay. But, um, but yeah, you got to rip off that bandaid and to have those honest conversations. And as far as how do you end it? Well, I feel very strongly about this actually. There are different situations, but if you are with someone who is fundamentally toxic, mm -hmm. who has maybe done things to harm you, like they've cheated on you, they've hurt you, they do not respect you and respect the relationship, and they also speak to you badly, treat you badly, then this, this um, advice is not for you, right? If you're in a relationship with the type of person that is treating you badly, harming you, cheating on you, things like that, oh, you do not owe them anything. You owe them a breakup. Goodbye. I don't want to see you again. We don't even need to discuss this. Like, for me, that type of person does not have the emotional awareness and ability to reason with you. Cut that off and leave it. And I don't know however you want to do it. Now, for the people who do have dated men who are actually just you know like they're good guys maybe they're not as self-aware emotionally perhaps um you're just not compatible they're they're really busy with work and they have whatever it is you know and and vice versa men with women maybe you're dating a woman who is just not the best fit for you but she is a good person fundamentally and she you know is respectful of you i think it is really important to um to get as much out there as possible before you stop talking. I think there should be a time where you actually like stop communication. That does not have to be the day that you say, let's break up. I actually think it shouldn't right. be personally for me. Um, I think I think it is important to approach the idea of breaking up, talking about it and having subsequent conversations, because especially if you've been in a long term relationship with this person, a loving relationship, a serious relationship, um, it deserves a breakup deserves the type of energy and emotion and, and thought and intention 
that went into going into the relationship and the love that it represents that you're kind of breaking off. It's very difficult to go from thinking about someone 24 seven, hanging out with them all the time, imagining your life together to straight, like we're not talking about each other. We don't see a future together, especially if the breakup is one-sided. So really, really would encourage you um to approach the idea of a breakup and let that kind of be the first phase this is where we talk about it this is where i hear your side of the story this is where i'm just so honest with you if we decide we're moving forward with this breakup let's have a time where you share everything that like all the questions you might have for me maybe all the questions that you might think of when you are broken up like what was it you know sometimes questions can't be answered like why was i not enough for you like that's that's not a question that can be answered sometimes it's compatibility but like getting it all out there and asking questions like maybe this will take a few weeks and then mm-hmm. maybe you decide like all right like hey you know we'll text we can talk we can kind of process and then maybe in a couple of weeks like maybe that can be our time when we're just going to cut it off and try to honor that as much as possible honor your healing process. And um, I've personally only ever blocked one boyfriend because I felt like I had to, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like stalking him a little bit too much and I was like getting sad and I was not loving like, you know, the idea of him being with someone else. So I had to block him. But because we have a respectful relationship, I told him I blocked him, I texted him and I was like, by the way, I did block you if you'll, you know, you might notice, but no hard feelings, I just needs my space right? Mm -hmm. Versus Mm -hmm. someone who's toxic, who has really kind of like disrespected you, just block them. (laughs) Like no need to talk about it. Just do it. Just do it. So I think there is a way to take it at your pace. Mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong answer necessarily. And you also like, oh gosh, I mean, I could go on and on and on about this. So I'll stop here soon. But like, there is no right way to go through a breakup. It is messy. It hurts. It's terrible, nothing is clean. You're gonna talk, you're gonna go back and forth, you're gonna try to get back together, whatever you need to do, but ultimately you be honest with yourself and get that mm-hmm. that get that space whenever you're really ready to move on. Um, so it sucks, breakups suck If you all really <laughs> wanna dive into this, we have a whole episode on breakups and divorce. Um, feel free to yes. check that out. That's just a few episodes back where we talk a lot about this stuff. So, so we're going to wrap up here with our last question. And that is how to manage trauma responses, easing back into Christian fellowship, stopping with a bomb drop, easing back. So there's a lot of, um, a a lot of assumptions. Yeah. There's a lot of assumptions in this question too. Like, you know, Easing back, so about going back, right? You potentially are that person who um, realized you needed to take a step back for some reason. Like you realize this was right. maybe not a healthy community. Maybe your congregation wasn't. Maybe there are certain theologies. And it was har- there was harm involved because there's, there's having a trauma response. Mm-hmm. Then there was some harm involved in the situation. And that's what's, that's, what's difficult is our brains are associative. Mm-hmm. And so when your brain associates a certain setting with trauma, with high control, with, you know, all of these things that can take place, it can make it really um, difficult and hesitant for you to go back yeah. into those spaces because you don't want to reintroduce yourself to potential harm again. And I think that yes. that's 
something that a lot of people have to understand, especially those who tend to not be very understanding about people who need like a break from church. There's so much fear about controlling people's healing process. And it's really hard to heal in the same environment that harmed you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so even if they go into a different environment, there are still a lot of triggers, right? There are still a lot of associations in there because if you were in a church space and, you know, there was spiritual language that was used in your harm and in your, in your abuse, then spiritual language is going to be really triggering for you. And even if you go into another church and they're not harmful, like, that spirit, hearing that same language, that same spiritual language, but maybe use in other ways, it might trigger you. Like, so that's, what's difficult is, you know, you have all of these, um, environmental cues that Mm -hmm. are familiar to the same environmental cues of the place where you went through the harm. And so that is why sometimes people need space and time to get out of those environments um, to heal before they can go back into these environments should they choose to. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense that that you'd feel skeptical, especially yes. around especially around constructs of authority in these hierarchies, if that Ooh. platform and authority was used for high control and manipulation and suppression, then just having that high, going back into a space with that same type of hierarchy with an mm-hmm. authority figure like that could be re-triggering. So I yes. just want to first say like, it makes so much sense why you would feel re-triggered, why you would feel cautious, why yeah. you would feel hesitant going back into these spaces. Right. And like you were saying, oh my goodness, it's so, it's deep. And we just deeply want to validate this experience. Um, I've been through it personally. um, And I've, I've had to set boundaries. And I think it's very difficult when it comes to faith and religion, and especially um, a a faith like Christianity, because um, there are so many uh, fears about not going to church, um, not being Mm -hmm. in a faith community, um, for people that automatically means that you don't love God or that you're straying or that you are falling away. And I, I just actually think that those are such detrimental ideas to the human psyche, to the human nervous system, because again, you are, um, not allowed to have agency over your sense of self. And you're trying to, but there are people in positions of power and even ideologies and beliefs uh, that are derived from the Bible that um, might be constructed in a certain way that um, are just fundamentally not true. And so going back um, to that place that, you know, maybe you took some time away to just figure out what you believe and and just have some time apart and and regroup and build that sense of self. And now you're going back. I would almost also say that you have the permission to prioritize your nervous system. Like that's okay to do. Maybe it's not black and white. Maybe it doesn't mean that you'll never go to church again or you'll never be in a Christian 
setting, maybe it's finding and starting to go around to different Christian settings, different churches, different faith groups, um, different uh, groups of people who are more supportive to your nervous system. So if you're going back to the same church, um, that could be hard. Now, if you've decided, no, this is the church I want to go to, this is the community I want to be a part of, then just um, I would really encourage you to stay aware, stay connected to your body, stay connected to your breath, stay connected to your sense of self because you can go into a church, hear what's being said from up front and separate yourself from it. You can do that. You can separate yourself in a way where they're saying something that you have learned is not true for you and validate that. Because that's where your nervous system is acting up is like, oh my goodness, we've been trying to understand who we are apart from this. And now we're coming back and now we feel the guilt, the shame, the manipulation to feel a certain way. And again, not all churches are like this. Not all faith groups are like this, but there are some that fundamentally mm -hmm. are like this. And I would strongly <laughs> encourage you to, yeah to find the balance and to not feel like you have to. And yet at the same time, sometimes that's where your community is. So that's where you're going to go. Um, but stay, yeah. stay grounded in who you are. Don't lose yourself so quickly. Not everything that's being said from up front is about who you are. And so I actually think that people like me and others who got really caught up in um, a, a theology that is not uh, supportive and healthy, for your nervous system, I actually think it's because we probably also had fundamental issues with our sense of self in general and got caught up in letting people and not to say that it was our fault, but saying that um, it's easier for us to hear um, what an authority says and hold on to it. And now we're learning how to find an authority somewhere else and not saying it's not in God. But it's, mm -hmm. you know, these are still people's interpretation of the Bible. These are still people's interpretation of spirituality. You get to also be the authority. You get to choose and find something for yourself that is aligned with the human that I believe God made you to be. So, um, so maybe it means stepping back. Maybe it means regulating while you're there. Maybe it means finding a different community if you need to. Yeah. It's thank you so much for saying all of that. Cause sometimes you just do need that permission because it's mm -hmm. like, sometimes people will, some people will have you believe that God is only in their church. Yeah. Right. And it's like, God is everywhere. The church yes. is a building. Right. Yes. And so filled sometimes with humans. there is that <laughs> filled with humans. God is in all of us. Right. And so there, sometimes there is that indoctrination. And so just being aware of what are the rules that you that you bump against, you know, that can create that fear and that trauma response. Because I think if we figure out what those rules are that we're bumping up against, um, and we can figure out how to care for ourselves through when we bump against those and they re-trigger us, um, yeah. that can be a more sustainable path. And this can also be difficult because in a, in a number of some of these spaces, a person will position themselves as the voice of God right? Like they are a conduit of God's voice. What they are saying is God's will. And mm. so what happens is, especially if they use that for manipulation or harm or their own agendas, 
and you've been following this person for a long time and you've, and you've trusted them and you believe what they said for so long. And then now you're starting, things are kind of starting to unravel and the math isn't mathing and what they're saying isn't adding up or there was a mm. scandal or what have you. Now you have to go through the process of essentially separating God's voice from that person, right? right. Like from right. what you like you were so used to God's voice comes through this individual. Yeah. And so part of stepping away or taking a step back helps you get re-familiar with God's voice in your own life. Like, mm. and with an experience of God apart from, you know, this person or this specific construct to realize that you do have agency in your faith. Yeah. Um, so oh, that's yes. why that can also Say be that again. so important. So that you can have agency in your faith. And it is my belief, God is in all things. God is everywhere. And mm. actually, sometimes you have to get out of these toxic, indoct heavily indoctrinated, heavily controlled spaces to realize that, right. that you can find, I mean, there are over 200 denominations in the US, okay? And you mean to tell right. me only one of those is experience? it's really... Well, according to my church, we were the one, you know, we are right. the one. And, and that is the <laughs> irony, right? You just so happen to be in the one that is wild right? every time yep. you're always just so happen to be in the one that is right. And so, you know, for me personally, I have, I just ha have a more flexible faith. I I am very yeah. understanding that there is a spectrum of faith and yes. I just respect where everyone comes from. And so I think like going back into spaces like that, it takes a lot, lot of healing yeah. for one. Yeah. It takes a lot of healing, a lot of being able to learn differentiation, which is essentially being able to connect to those around you, but also be able to maintain a sense of self, everything mm -hmm. that Ronella was saying, because that's also what's going to allow you to pay attention when things maybe aren't right or are off or aren't fading. Or sometimes you could just say, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that perspective right. and that's okay. I just have a different, I've gone into many churches where it's like, you know, that's not exactly what I believe, or that's not exactly right. how I do things, but that's okay. Like mm -hmm. I don't have to believe all the same things about everything all the time to be in a community, you know, right. um, because I have a sense of security in my own agency and my faith. Right. And so there is, there can be, I want to give hope that there can be a way to move through faith and have that agency and still have connection right. um, if you are re-entering into these spaces. And also some of the triggering that takes place with certain people. I know for me, gosh, um, because there is a route that you can go where you can become anti-church, right? Where you're just mm -hmm. like, you know what? This happened to me, screw everything, screw everyone, I'm out. And there are some people who take that approach, right? And there yeah, was a sometimes it's needed. Mm -hmm. And you need that. Sometimes anger is the first step to healing. You have to realize like what what's been happening and what you never faced. But yeah, like, and I know I was in a phase of bitterness at one point where I was mm -hmm. just like, this is unhealthy, this is toxic. I can't like this needs to change. Da -da 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 -da. And then I had to pause and remember. Like I was that person. Like yeah. I used to believe those things. I used to be in that space. And, and I really believed that I was in the goodness of my heart, you know, and I really was just working with the tools and understanding.
understanding and knowledge that I had at the time. Yeah. And so again, going back to reparenting my inner child, like Brittany, I am not just because I've changed a bit. I'm not going to forsake that part of you. I'm not going to leave that part of you. And thus mm. I'm not going to forsake and leave those who are also in that space in the sense that I can pause and have compassion and have right. understanding and awareness of saying, okay, like they are in this space right now. And everyone, just like I was allowed to have my process because yeah. it took me years. It took mm -hmm. me years to come to the understanding today of things that were unhealthy that I had to unlearn and relearn right. and what it means to be a safe person and what it means to be a safe person in a faith context and a spiritual context. Like that took years of learning and unlearning. Right. And so it takes time for people. And some people might not be there and, you know, just understanding like, okay, I was in that place. I'm going to have like some compassion, understanding like yeah. what it's like to be there yeah. and how one could be there. That kind of allows me to not be bitter when people maybe are still a little unhealthy or toxic in faith spaces. Right. It's just like, I understand why you're there. Like, I understand why you believe these things. I understand why you're reacting in this way because I did you know, right. and I'm not abandoning that part of myself. I've integrated that part of me into my journey into a more holistic way to go forward with what I won't know now. Um, and so I, that's, that's what beautiful. I encourage. That's what I encourage in this situation is, you know, is to try to integrate all of your experiences forward. The good thing is now you are not starting from scratch. You are starting from experience. So you already know mm -hmm. what it looks like to be in a unhealthy harmful, manipulative, toxic, what have you environment, you know what that looks like. So now, you know, the sign should they come up and you know how to act accordingly. Mm -hmm. And it's not like before where you were kind of maybe caught off guard. Now, you know, so trust your wisdom, trust your, yeah. you know, experience up to this point that, that, that same grace and awareness will carry you forward. Should you need to make shifts at any point in time? Yeah. I love that. Um, I think, it's a very tricky subject for those of you who have grown up, for those of us who have grown up in the Christian world and in the church and, and whatever religion, you know, um, background, they, you know, we're all humans and we all have this human tendency to want to make our thing the best thing and the only way and the the right way and, and life is just so not black and white. And so I actually think that that is one of the detriments of one of the most detrimental ways of thinking is black and white thinking. And a lot of times, especially for me, um, that it was that all or nothing black and white thinking that got me so deep into the, the religious world that I was in. And, um, you know, and also the kind of same black and white thinking that when I was going through that my anger phase of it made me want to like fully, you know, just hate on and step away from and, you know, you need, you need, um, people need each other, but it doesn't mean you have to be in that specific environment. You do not have to be in that specific environment if it's going to continue to cause trauma responses. So I would also say pay attention to that and maybe expand your awareness of 
the other types of humans that are out there because there are other humans besides just Christian humans <laughs> and besides just Christian churches. I mean, there are spiritual people and deeply connected spiritual people that like have those values too. And you might find spiritual community there too. That being said, thank you guys so much for your questions. I definitely think we should do another one of these soon. Yeah. These were such good questions. Um, and you know, per usual, as we always say, like we are not here to replace another authority figure in your life. This is, these are our experiences these are the mm -hmm. things as we see them, as we believe mm -hmm. them to be, reflect on where these things fit for you or not, um, or what have you, but we're just so happy to be sharing this space with you and that, and that you're here and that you're open to these conversations, um, because they're just also valuable when it comes to our mental, emotional, spiritual well-being. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for taking some time um, to to hear our thoughts and we would love to hear yours. So feel free to DM us, visit us um, on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, hear your thoughts. I always love getting, I've been getting DMs recently about the podcast. So we're just so excited that you're here and feel free to share ideas of things that you want to hear as well. As we go into mm -hmm. um, the, you know, the next several months, February is going to be all on relationships, both, you know, romantic and friendships, um, the important relationships in our lives. So we also got some, you know, more mental health topics coming up too, but would love to hear from you. And again, thank you for journeying with us. Until next time. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, let's continue the conversation and stay connected on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, all linked in the show notes below. Let us know your thoughts or leave a review on the podcast. Your feedback really does mean so much to us. Until next time.